Welcome back, Double Teamed fam. Today we have another exciting episode with another special guest that we're very excited to bring on. Her name is Claire Louise Travers from at Polly Pages on IG. She is a polyamorous queer relationship anarchist, and we're super excited to have her here today. Claire, if you wanna introduce yourself real quick and then just tell us a little bit more about what you do. Sure, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm a relationship anarchist, so I should explain what that is straight off the bat, I think, <laughs> which is the, Absolutely. Yeah, the application of anarchist principles in relationship spaces. So it's this like idea that the relationships that we have and the labels that we have should fit relationships and not the other way around. And we can talk a bit more about that, but I just want to plug Poly Pages really quickly, which is an academic non-monogamous podcast and platform. We focus on like all of the texts around polyamorous community and culture, like that's our niche where nerddom and multiple lovers meet. <laughs> we started as a podcast like four years ago. And since then, we've expanded to do events where we host critical conversations about polyamory on things like racism, decoupling, abuse, etc. We also have a research hub where we partner with academic institutions to promote the academia around non-monogamy and we have the ultimate book list which is kind of like my recommended reading which I'm sure we'll go over today <laughs> and we have the Polly Pages book club which just started on the 1st of October and is currently reading Polly Secure by Jessica Fern which is done with the support of Thorn Tree Press which is one of the main publishers of non-monogamous and polyamorous literature in the world. So that's a little bit about me. I'm so excited to be on, guys. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah. And wow. First of all, I love that y'all do events. Do we have any here in the U.S.? For polyamory? I'm sure there's somewhere, but I don't know. We haven't discovered haven't any yet. Any. Yeah. And I guess to clarify to our listeners, Claire is in the U.K., um, so she is from across the pond. Yes. And I know we do have listeners in the UK and whatnot. I do see on the Reddit communities as well that there are quite a few UK influencers for polyamory and such. So now I want to discuss a little bit about all the books in academia, just because I know for me, at least, it wasn't until I hopped on Reddit that I learned a lot about the different books and stuff on there. So I know the first one we picked up was The Ethical Slut. I'm reading Sex at Dawn, and I'm definitely excited to check out the list that you were mentioning there. But in terms of the books and whatnot, were there any like passages or readings that as you began your poly journey really resonated with you or you know, certain pieces that kind of like helped you maybe enter into it? Yeah, so I started reading about polyamory after I'd already been doing it for like five years. So I definitely learned oh, wow. by doing, yeah. But I am an academic researcher like in my full-time job. And so to take a break from researching those things, I would pick up these articles about non-monogamy and that's how I started reading it. So I came at it from like a very academic place and then transitioned to, I guess you could call it more like the how-to guides or like the poplet, which are still great. Like there's definitely no snobbery here around the academic versus popular lit. The Ethical Slut is such a great start and I think it has a lot of impact in the community. So they're now on their third edition and their third edition is by far the best. They updated a lot of their language. They included a lot more like non-binary stuff, some stuff in there about being trans, um, whereas the second edition had like some more very heteronormative ideas were still in it. And actually a podcast goes 
chapter by chapter of the ethical slot for season one, updating like references and having conversations and doing the homeworks and stuff. So if anybody wanted to have like a companion read, that's what season one of the Polly Pages podcast is about. I really, and I'll admit, I've not finished The Ethical Slut. I've been reading it very slowly. But the parts that, you know, however long I've gotten into the book, I really do enjoy the way the authors look at sex and relationships. Because I think a lot of people tend to look at it very limiting. And just the way that they describe everything, it's just like, I remember one of my favorite lines was very early on in the book, like the things that they say that, and then like they have a contradicting view to it. So it's like, oh, poly people are easy. And their reply was like, I'm sorry, is there a virtue to being difficult? So it's just (laughs) like, I really enjoyed the way that they describe everything. I would say very well. And I do think I'm reading the third edition. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's the one that's purple on the cover. Yes. Yes, so you're reading the right one. And that chapter is the myths and... Yes, myths and misconceptions, something like that. Yes, that's it, myths and misconceptions, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the other one that I really liked was, I think it's chapter eight, is abundance, where they really outline this idea that a lot of what we think of about relationships is based in this idea that there, like, isn't enough, right? Like, there isn't enough Mm -hmm. love. There isn't enough sex. There isn't enough, like people to go around and so we have to kind of stake our claim and like hoard our person to ourselves and like own them and keep possess them and that chapter was I mean the, the chapters are really short these aren't like long philosophical passages but they really laid out there in quite a, a clear way that that's just completely a product of capitalism <laughs> like of course yeah. we, we're meant to to hoard resources in capitalism under this myth that there isn't enough it's called a starvation economy and when you start to practice abundance thinking which sounds so hippie and fluffy but genuinely when activated in this like political way I found that that actually was the thing I think that made me reconsider using the term non-monogamous and start using the term relationship advocate so I was like let me take this and run with it <laughs> which I did. Okay. Oh, I like that. I hadn't thought of that. And I think it's funny that you mention in the abundance thing, how it's always like not enough, because if anybody reads reverse harem, some of the tropes that they use is like, oh, there's not enough women for all these men. So that's how she ends up with five different dicks in her bed. Like, (laughs) and I absolutely, how they get started with this. I'm like, "Mm, maybe let's rethink this. But like, they all just it's like her. great it's like a fantastic narrative element and I'm like all for any narrative element that gets me to reading about five dicks in one bed happy but in terms of like how everyone should structure everything in their lives it's like love is not pie it doesn't go away the more you give it away right no exactly yeah I definitely agree that that was one of my favorite chapters too. And I was actually just reading it yesterday because there have been parts of the ethical slot that I've read, but not all the way through. And I like that chapter as well because I thought what she had to say about how once you start practicing abundance, it kind of becomes like this like overflowing well of love to give. And I've always said, at least in in my personal non-monogamy journey, that like it was once I found self-love 
for myself that I realized that I have more love to give. And so like, that's kind of how I connected with it in the sense that it's like, once you figure out how to learn to love yourself and the way that you are, then you feel like your cup is like overflowing. And now you've got all this like extra love to give to other people. So that's kind of how I looked at it too. I have to say, I really don't love the narrative around love yourself before you love others, because that's uh, that's a hard thing for us to do. But I do think that the I also had like this experience where when I was dating non-monogamously, when I am dating non-monogamously, I'm constantly learning new ways to love myself. It's like the love is not static. And that's just like amazing. <laughs> no, I would agree. And that's, I feel, especially in this, you know, probably the last six months learning more about myself and things that I like because and discovering those like through new people that I've met and who have introduced me to things that's when it's like you learn new things about yourself to love and then that's when you feel like you've got more ways to to kind of spread that love now I'm curious about Polysecure because I haven't read that one yet but that's one that I always see talked about have you finished it yet can you tell us kind of what are some of the themes in that book yeah, absolutely. So Police Secure by Jessica Fern, which is published by Thorntree Press, who are supporting us in the book club. It is a book about att- attachment styles. So attachment styles are formed um, when you are younger, when you're a child, about how your caregivers respond to your needs and fulfill your needs. And this theory that Jessica Fern uses is uh, taken from not only her experience of polyamory, but also her experience as a therapist and and from her experiences with her clients. And she's made it into this amazing book, which I really just feel like has taken the conversation by storm. Like it's everywhere since it was released a year ago. And I'm seeing a lot of like really great conversations coming out of that. It's just like another way that people can understand themselves better. And it's very nice to have a book about relationships that doesn't assume monogamy. That is the same for any time I read a, a book about relationships that's not based on monogamy. I'm like, oh, how refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've been seeing a lot on TikTok about the anxious attachment style. Yeah, so there, there are four of them. There's secure, anxious, dismissive, and avoidant. And these are not fixed, right? Some people I've noticed on TikTok speak about it as if it's like, this is what you are. Similar to like the love languages, right? Like this is it. And like in chapter one of the book... Jessica Fern is like, these are not labels to like take and be like, this is my identity. These are always changing depending on each relationship we're in, depending on our like repeated experiences. If you are with somebody who is repeatedly meeting your needs and you're able to communicate your needs and withdrawing is encouraged if you need to and there is a healthy relationship basically, you will finish this relationship in a place that's more secure. So she does actually have elements of the book that are about you know, developing secure attachment style. But these are absolutely not fixed. And the book, I think, does a really good job of explaining that. I'm not sure that that nuance has transitioned into the general conversation as nicely as she might have wanted. But if anyone's interested in reading it in, like, a supported reading environment, the book club, which is running at the moment, is reading it until the end of December. And the book club, which I'm now going to plug real quick. Sure, go for it. Since we're here. (laughs) The Polypages book club is... We chose to do one book over three months for £30. So that's about a cup of coffee a week. It's not a lot of money. It's all digital. You get a discount on the book uh, in either audiobook format, printed, or as an EPUB. And we then uh, will give journal prompts and discussion topics. You get access to the community, which was being run over Discord and via our website. And you can just, like, read this book 
in a sort of structured, welcoming and critical environment. And we'll be sitting down with Jessica Fern at the end of the year to put some questions to her, which is really cool. Yeah, (laughs) that's dope. Yeah, but it's such a great book. Like, I mean, it, it really, there's a reason why it's doing so well. And there are some other ones as well that I am going to get up to give you guys now. I'm Polysecure is definitely on my list as well, just because I keep seeing it pop up so much. I'm still finishing Sex at Dawn, but that one's on my list too. And I got to finish The Ethical Slut. I tend to kind of read in pieces sometimes, yeah. so that's I jump around and I need to stop doing that. I just need to like finish and move on. I'm curious, in reading Polysecure, have you identified any attachment styles that you tend to gravitate towards? I would say that I am I'm relatively secure attachment style at this point, but that's because I have the privilege of going to therapy and working on myself. But it definitely came from a place that was very dismissive when I was growing up. I didn't have close family relationships like at all. I was very much in control of my own happiness and wouldn't really get attention unless I was like, you know, something was really wrong. So I think I, I probably started in a place that was very dismissive and... It's been actually more helpful for me to use the book in a way to understand my partners. So like as I get to know more about my partners, I could be like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm not um, pathologizing. Like that's not what I'm saying. Don't pathologize anybody. But it allows you to understand how trauma or like the background of somebody is informing how they're acting to you. And therefore, the way that they're acting to you, the relationship you're building is connected to that. And it's also something that's dynamic, right? It's changing. You can change your attachment style. You can change your relationship to grow together and to become more secure as a, as a dyad or a triad or, or whatever. So for me, it's not been about reading the book and being like, oh, this is me. It's been about reading my book and being like, huh, that was my ex for that. <laughs> I think that's great that you do that because... In a similar way, sometimes when I look at my partner's chart, I do it to understand them better. I think a lot of people, what they tend to do is they see a reaction from their partner and just immediately think, oh, it's all about me, 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 and how it applies to them, rather than, oh, maybe it's just something going on in them and I need to figure out what that is. So, I mean... Or, yeah, or how it's affecting them. Yeah, it's, or how it's, it's not a reflection of you. It's more so just something going on internally for them. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that's why like, I like to, in the way that you use that book and the attachment styles to apply that to your partners, I've done that with astrology charts. And I think it's helpful. Yeah. I think it's helpful to like, okay, step away of how you view it in your mind and maybe like, oh. From the perspective, yeah. This is a per- from the perspective of someone else. So I like that. Yeah. Again, don't pathologize, yeah. but it, I think the contextualization of like, it's not about you. Like 95% of what people do is not about you. Oh, mm-hmm. exactly. It's about them. And that's always like a helpful reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Question, are the books that you read and whatnot, do a lot of, do your partners read a lot of them as well? Or like, do you guys have your own little book club sessions? I'm curious. So the podcast started because I was reading The Ethical Slot with my then partner. So the first season is The Two of Us, and it was kind of started as like a fun project. And then I was like, I'm going to make this into a whole ass business, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's not like I go up to people and I'm like, can you please read these books? Because, it, you know, like that would be so weird. Um, <laughs> like, here is the curriculum for dating me. I've noticed that we've reached date three. So I'm going to need you to do this quiz. Like, <laughs> I love that. Please read chapter eight of The Ethical Slut. Yeah. Before tomorrow's date. <laughs> no, I really like that. Imagine. Just imagine. I feel like 
Well, for me, I don't think that would work for the kind of men I go for. <laughs> well, I'm curious because, I mean, for me at least, I'm I'm a big reader and my husband is not. So a lot of times what I'll do is like if I'm reading something that resonates with me and that I think he should also read, I'll just like take those snippets and like send it his way. Or like when we catch up about like our day or our week or whatever, like I'll talk about the books. And that's kind of like my way of like sharing the knowledge and having discussions about it, knowing that he's not necessarily going to pick up the ethical slut and read it. Not because he, you know, has anything against those books or anything like that. He's just not a huge reader as much as I am, I would say. So, yeah. Now, there have been some where I'm like, I think you should read this. And he'll read and be like, oh, okay. Just hasn't been any poly-related books yet. So, that's yes. kind of how I approach it. It's tea. <laughs> I would think none of my partner or, like, previous partners or current partner would want to read Reverse Harem. I would just be like, here's this really sexy passage that I just read. Let's read it. Why not? I demand you read this reverse hero and spicy book. Oh, I love spicy books. Now, did you read any spicy books as well? Are you into reverse hero fiction by chance? I remember back when, what was it called? It was like an erotica site was really big when what I was pad? a teenager. No, erotica no. site. What pad? Deviant. Was Oh, it was it? called Deviant Art. Oh. Deviant Art, and it was like kinky shit. It was like like kinky fucking shit. Like yeah, and I remember like reading this when I was like a teenager, and it was like you know what? Now I'm like I probably shouldn't have access to some of the shit. Yeah, like it coloured my you know early sexual exploration for the better. But like I mean I don't really want to have children, but if I did, I'd be like no internet. Because <laughs> early 2000s internet was out of control and like our parents were not equipped to handle it. <laughs> so I, I'm a, I'm a, I was a really big erotica reader. I'm less so now, but I think it's just because I read so much for my work and now I've made this into my work as well. And it's, it's a lot of reading. So I actually try to like put down the literature, uh, which because it's just it's becoming like my hot life. But I do like podcasts and I think a lot of the the teachings and like the learnings and the conversations that are being had in some of like kinky, the alternate lifestyle, the polyamorous space are also being had on these kinds of podcasts. So if you're ever with someone that's not like a big reader, then there will always be another way that they can get that knowledge. Yeah. If they want it. I agree. Well, they can just like try, you know, just like beat about in the weeds with a stick and find out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like sharing all the, for example, on Reddit. Reddit, like I said, is where I started to learn about a lot of the resources that are available for like people interested in poly and, you know, kink and alternative things like you had mentioned. And it's funny because all the time when people are like, how do I get started? What do I do? And people are like, books and podcasts. They never actually give examples of books and podcasts. So half the time I go in there and I'm like, here's a list of podcasts. And like, yeah, sure. I mentioned mine, but I also mentioned yours too. Cause I remember someone was like, oh, I'm not a big reader. And then I was like, oh, there's this podcast that had a whole season on the ethical slut. So I think, you know, at least like with your podcast and things like that, or in general, I agree they're great resources for people that maybe they have long drives from work and, you know, they don't have the time to commit to a book, but, you know, they could gain some of the knowledge that way. So I think the more of us in the space kind of spreading all of that, the better. Yeah. And I mean, these, the last, I would say like two years, there's been this explosion of new content creators and new podcasts and things like this that 
are talking about this. I mean, there's just infinite ways you can you can look into this. I have a book list, like a, the ultimate poly book list. If you Google it, it's like the first thing that comes up, I think. And that's got a book list of the stuff that I read. And I was like, wow, this is like, if I was going to do a curriculum, like this would be the curriculum. And it does include a lot of nonfiction, which I can go into some of the specifics. Sure. But also children's books, also fiction books, memoirs, like it's sorted by genre. Oh, wow. So... If uh, some people just don't like to read nonfiction, which I, I get, it can sometimes be a bit dry. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Cup of tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of my own accent. Then they can, you know, look at some of the fiction that's there that just happens to have polyamorous or, or non-monogamous storylines and stuff like that. What fiction would you recommend? The first time that I read a fiction book that really I was like, huh, it's me, was in The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Becky Chambers, is, I think, was originally self-published and now is no longer writing in this world, but it's in, like, sci-fi, futuristic fantasy, and there are these lizard people called Andrasks, oh. and they are polyamorous. Love that. And I was like, I mean, I love it, but I'm kind of pissed that I had to go to, like, a space opera from space with feathered lizards in order to get this, right? <laughs> Would it have been that hard to make this happen in, like, modern-day New York? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so a lot of the, I mean, the reverse harem that I read, a lot of it is urban fantasy, epic fantasy, or what else? Yeah, like just fantasy in general. And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's vampires and wolves and it's strange, like Andina people that have tails and wings, but somehow can have an orgy. Like I still did find it relatable. I'm curious, in that book, when you say they were polyamorous, what relationship styles within, or like what structures within polyamory did they represent? Because most of them, I feel, represent like triads, and I don't usually see a lot of examples of solo poly, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, so what structures did that book have in poly? So that book was, I mean, they didn't, I don't think they even used the word polyamory, but the the structure was more like sexual friendships, queer platonic partners, life part- multiple life partners at the same time. I'm not the biggest fan of triadic relationships. It's not it's not something I've had any experience in or like interested in trying because it seems really hard and overrepresented if we're honest. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. There are not that many triads and they're everywhere. That's <laughs> no, true. <laughs> well, I mean in the the reverse harem books I read you would find like the V structure and then the triad where it's like the two guys that love each other and then they find the girl and all three of them love each other or it turns into like this whole, it does kind of turn more like it's either triad or polycule where like maybe two of the guys are in love as well. That's always what I find. Yeah. And then it does not venture much from that. No, I agree. Most of the time they represent triads, which is funny because especially when you go on Reddit, everyone, I'm not saying that people don't like triads, but I agree that all you see is male, female, female triads when it comes to representation of polyamory. So I was just curious in any of those books, if any any of them did represent solo poly or, which it kind of sounds like maybe that one did a little bit. If they're more friendships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so solo poly, for, I, I know you cover this with Gabriella on your last 
but one, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't remember the name, the <laughs> yep. number. That's when you have, when you're polyamorous, you have multiple partners, you have the ability to love multiple people, but your relationship to yourself is always the primary relationship, mm-hmm. right? And for me, with my polyamory, it always worked better being so polyamorous and not having a like kitchen table dynamic Mm -hmm. which is like when the polycule is very close so like Gabriella was talking about how she loves this kitchen table dynamic and the potential it has for sharing resources and stuff but for me I'm like I literally cannot think of anything worse (laughs) than having my partners like oh I'm taking your own yeah (laughs) so the the opposite of that is parallel polyamory and in a long way to small angry planet that was what I saw like these people have multiple partners, but they are running in parallel with each other. They they don't have a relationship. They might not even like, you know, speak the same language, be from the same species, be from the same place, be in the same place. And that really resonated with me because at the time I had like these three nesting partners in different countries with different languages. And they obviously could not meet because I'm not going to translate yeah. and mm-hmm. deal with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, do you speak more than one language? I do, yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, when you start learning a language, you realize that you will never speak another language fluently. But yes, I speak other languages. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's something that I really like about my polyamory is that I'm able to have these different relationships with different languages. Like, I really enjoy learning languages. I feel like you're a little bit different in every language that isn't your own. And yeah, I would obviously not want to have to like run the logistics of getting these people in one space for the sake of like a kitchen table. I'm like, it's not going to happen. So yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, like you were saying, it, it worked for Gabrielle, but for you, it's kind of like your worst nightmare. I think a lot of times with polyamory, it is trial and error or really defining what it is that you want out of a relationship. Because for some people, kitchen table polyamory works. For others, you know, they prefer the parallel style, which parallel was something I recently learned about because I kept seeing people that are like, well, I don't really want to meet my meta. And, uh, you know, I just would rather that they keep that separate. And I'm over here with my partner. And, and, you know, that's kind of when I started learning more about it. So, but yeah, for some people might kind of take some time to figure out what they want and, and everything. And also why people want it, right? Like people can figure out what they want. Like people can say, well, obviously I want to have two girlfriends. That sounds great. And I'm like, yeah, me too, man. That would be brilliant. But like, why do you want that? Yeah. Like, why do you want two girlfriends? Okay, okay. Is it for less than social reasons, right? Like, yeah. Uh, are some of these reasons that I see? Because, like, Reddit is a minefield. I cannot believe this is how you got started. <laughs> like, baptism well, by Reddit. fire, man. Like, oh my God. Reddit looks scary. Reddit is an interesting place, but I've really come to love it. It's not the only space where I'm active. Obviously, like Instagram and TikTok, like there's different poly communities within that. Like, for example, on Instagram is where I found like Polyphilia blog and Gabrielle and you and stuff like that. And then TikTok, there's, you know, other influencers like Pursuit of Poly. I can't remember this other girl that I always see. Now they're a triad, of course. I always see a lot of triads a lot of triads on TikTok. But anyway, so like I like seeing all the different things in all the different spaces and just kind of like going from there and and learning more about it from all the different places. But Reddit is a unique space. Let's put it that way. It is. And definitely like it has its charms. My the partner that I started Poly Pages with was big into Reddit and like spoke quite quite highly of how he found the experience but I think it's just different strokes for different folks like you get different stuff depending on what you're looking for and absolutely no shade whatsoever if somebody wants to have a sexual extramarital consensual thing happening like 
that's great. Do it. Like, that's fine. My issue would be, though, that if that's the only representation that we're getting, we're getting this very slim idea of what polyamory is. And if you think about it, it's the style of polyamory that kind of most closely adheres to monogamy, right? It's like it's still being judged in this way where, like, the couple is the most important and it's only okay if there is no other emotional entanglement, to use a a red table term. But it's just like this thinnest, I don't know if, well, I coined this, it appeals to the monogamous gaze in that it looks like monogamy plus one extra person, but like it's still a closed triad. Or like, it looks like monogamy because there's a primary couple, but there are like other people with consent. It's like, it looks like this, but it's, it's just a little bit shy of it. And it kind of, I, can't, I kind of think that's a bit of a shame when polyamory has is this huge spectrum. It has like so many options. Yeah. Well, and I think as far as people entering triads, for monogamous people, triad probably looks the least scary. Yeah. The least threatening to their relationship. Yeah. So, and you know, that's maybe like their intro. And a lot of the times I do think... <laughs> When people are starting to be curious about triads and wanting to try it, they still have some of those inner like whys and those kinds of questions to ask themselves. In my personal journey with it, because, you know, my husband and I just started like non-monogamous. And then like when we were, when we were venturing into polyamory, I always looked at it from, granted, it, it came from the stance of like, okay, we're a couple and we're entering polyamory, but I always approached it from the standpoint of, I don't want it to be where we date someone together and we add one person and like, that's polyamory to us. I was like, no. I looked at it as like married solo poly. Yeah. Like we each have the independence and freedom to like find the connections that are meaningful to us and explore those in whatever way. I remember the first time I ever read about polyamory, the author, she had described it like there are primaries, there are secondaries, tertiaries. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, okay, so you have a primary relationship. I guess that's what him and I are. And then like whatever comes after that is secondary. But then like once you started practicing it, I was like, well, it doesn't feel like... Yes, of course, obviously we have history and and he's my... I guess primary, but like I don't feel like I want to treat my other relationships as if they're secondary. And when he found his girlfriend, I didn't feel as if he treated her as secondary. So like once you, I feel like you read about these things and then for applying them to your life, you're like, oh, well, it looks a little bit different for us or like this is kind of how we want to do it or, and then you start learning about all the different ways and yeah, so it's just, uh, to me at least, that's why when you start reading, you know, it's good to diversify what you're reading to see all the different structures to learn that there's more than just how it forming a triad or you know couples entering polyamory or whatnot like I didn't learn about solo poly until probably like a month or two in I started dating a girl that was solo poly and that's when I was like oh this is cool (laughs) so I've never been in a situation where I've been opening up a relationship like ever because I just I go in and I'm, I'm not gonna do monogamy if that's an issue we've cut ourselves down some time like there is the door. But I have a couple of book recommendations since you guys wanted me to give book recommendations. So my first one is Use Your Words, Opening Language for Open Relationships, which is by Dr. Stephanie Webb. Dr. Stephanie Webb, I believe, is in a a V, uh, a V-shaped relationship with, with two guys. And this book was the culmination of, I think, her PhD So it is all about the use of language in that space and getting like to grips with some of this language and having an open relationship focus as opposed to some of the other literature, which is 
you know, talking about this very broad spectrum of non-monogamy. This is because it's about open relationships. I think it's it's a really smart one for anyone that's thinking about opening their relationship. Nice. And then if you wanted to take it a step further, if then you want to, because I think what you're talking about here about like, you've got these primary, secondary, tertiary labels, but like it feels very, like it doesn't fit well. I think that there is nothing wrong with using whatever label you feel is appropriate. But with hierarchical polyamory, it's like, I expect this because I am the primary partner. Or like, I'm using this as a term to like prescribe how you have to act with me. And then it sounds like what you're experiencing is like, but that's not how we're acting. We just have these labels. Mm-hmm. And there are like non-hierarchical alternatives, like there's nesting partner instead of primary partner or anchor partner instead of primary partner or whatever. But using those labels as a description is... I think a much better use of them but obviously like use whatever labels you want but that would be my advice and so if you wanted to start exploring why we have these labels and what they do then there is a book called stepping off the relationship escalator uncommon love and life by amy garan i think is how you say her name the relationship escalator i think is a pretty well-known concept by this point mm-hmm. but that is the, the person that coined the phrase and they wrote a book about it I've seen that one tossed around before, and I was curious to read it as well, the Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator. Have you read it yourself? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super short. And I also wrote a essay because uh, I, write, I write my own essays, which are currently hosted on Medium. And I wrote an essay about how there's kind of like, you know, we're 10 years later now from that book, and there's kind of like a polyamory relationship escalator. Nice. Like a monogamous appealing version of polyamory where like, you meet and then this is how you go but the concept for people that don't know is that in the culture we currently live in there is a way by which you're meant to do your romantic relationships and what you do is you start dating or courting she calls it then you get on the escalator together this escalator is only two people wide it's not wide enough to have anyone else and it can only go up and you can't just step off because it is an escalator. So this is the reason for the metaphor being called this. And, you know, you go from dating or courting and then you go up to being public. So you, like, become formal. This might look like being exclusive, going to events as a plus one, these sorts of things. Then you get engaged, then you get married, then you have kids, then you build a house. It's all these different steps. And she goes into good reasons why we have this and the cultural sort of reason why you might want to have this. But then, you know, it says you don't have to be on this escalator. You can stop halfway up the escalator and be like, I want to stay here for a while. I like this stage. I just want to keep doing this. I don't want to do the next step. You can even de-escalate. You can go back down. You can go, hey, look, I know we moved in together, but like, I'm not having a great time. Let's go back down to living separately. That doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean that you've broken the escalator. It means that you're taking a step down. You could go back up. You could go back down. And she also advocates for widening the escalator. So at the moment, escalators are too, too abreast. That's it. But what happens if you make it big enough for more people? And then you're like, that's just the stairs. Do that. That's just the stairs. I love that. <laughs> Well, no, and I think everybody should go read that. I'm about to go read that. Yeah, even, yeah, even monogamous yeah, people. Even monogamous people, because I feel like so many people, it, it becomes a checklist. It's like, oh, we started dating. You know, oh, he posted me on his Instagram. We're going somewhere. And then it's like, oh, we're going to move in together. And then I see so many TikToks where it's like, you know, a couple, and they're like, so either we break up or we get married. And I'm like, 
Why does that have to be the only two options? <laughs> okay, you've been together for five years and those are the only two options you're seeing here? Like, and why does a breakup have to mean you never talk to that person again? Yeah. I think people forget <laughs> that they can negotiate terms outside of what society expects those terms to be. So, which is like, honestly, kind of the foundation of non-monogamy. You know, society says this is exactly how you should do relationships. Two people, you go up this little escalator, figure it out from there. When instead, like, everything can be a negotiation. So, that's great. Yeah, I agree. Everyone should read that book. I'm adding it to my list. There's going to be a lot of readings now that I have to go do after this. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly but surely. I mean, you asked the, you know, influencer of books and polyamory on. Like, you knew what you were letting yourself in for. (laughs) The literature I'll be sending you the syllabus later. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. I signed up for this. Absolutely. Well, and I, I used to be such an avid reader. I'd read like a hundred books a year. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. My That's amazing. My highest was I think I reached one twenty five one year. And I Were they I, all alien porn? Yeah, I used to read in high school, college, you would always find me with a book in my lap. I would have a whole backpack full of books. I would never be without a book in my hand. And for some reason, 2021 hit. And I will say like 2020 was a blessing because that fun employment led me to read like reading so much. But then 2021 hit and it was just like a just like a slash like I've read three books this year and I feel like for me that's not enough. <laughs> so <laughs> and I'm reading The Ethical Slut so slowly and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a lot busier, but yeah. Yeah, but also, I mean, these books are very seldom required that you read them cover to cover. Like, yeah. I don't think that the slide is designed for that. And in a, in a way, that's why they do so well, because you can kind of scroll through and be like, okay, this is the bit that I actually want to read. So it's interesting you mentioned just then the, first of all, I totally would have hit on you if I saw you carry on a backpack full of books. <laughs> just want to let you know that. Oh. I 110%, I would have been like, hi. <laughs> I would have been flattered. I'm like, here's a book. <laughs> But earlier you mentioned like there's this idea that if you end a relationship, it's like a failure. You have to never speak again. You have these very, we have a super narrow idea about what breakups have to look like. Oh, yeah. And another book recommendation for you, which we're actually going to read in our book club next year, is The Polyamory Breakup Book by Kathy Labriella. I went through really bad breakups in... Hey, DT fam, you know how important STD testing is and how often we discuss it on our show, which is why I'm super stoked to be working with stdcheck.com. So whether you are with a new partner or you just want to stay on top of your sexual health, maybe you have multiple partners or maybe you went to a sex party and forgot to use a condom, whatever it is, it is super important for you to be maintaining your sexual health and that obviously includes STD testing. So stdcheck.com is the leader in reliable and affordable lab-based STD testing. I've done this many times, so I'm definitely a big fan of this. Basically, you order your test online and then go right to one of their certified labs, get your testing done, no doctor visit is required, and then you do get your results emailed to you in about two days. What I love about stdcheck.com obviously is it offers confidential and convenient STD testing. This is how I typically do my testing, especially when I want to do a full, full panel. So with multiple online payment options, it's super easy to set up and also you just have that peace of mind. If you're looking for a super convenient way to go get tested, head on to stdcheck.com 
stdcheck.com. And right now, stdcheck.com is offering our listeners $10 off your order. So go to doubleteamedfam.com. Of course, we'll have that linked in the episode description. Click on STD Check and use code DTF to get $10 off your next STI test. That's doubleteamedfam.com. Click on STD Check and use code DTF to go get tested. And this is just a great way to support our show while you're taking care of your sexual health. So thank you guys. Go get tested. 2020. And I was really struggling because like people don't know how to support. Like we have this code where like if you are breaking up with somebody, then your friends go like, well, you know, you're better off anyway. Never speak to them again. Hate them. They're the villain. You're the victim. These super unhealthy binaries. But like, what does that look like if you're also still in love with somebody else and it's not like a love triangle, right? It's like a consensual multiple loves and you can be heartbroken and in love at the same time. And I got so many people that meant well giving just like, obviously completely and not, not understanding the process of what the breakup looked like for a polyamorous perspective. Saying things like, you have another partner. Okay, if your kid dies, I'm gonna be like, what, you have another kid? <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> and like, so like, oh, I'm sorry, did something happen to your parent? Well, you've got two, so unhelpful. I'm just like, I was mad, man. <laughs> So I definitely, I definitely would recommend that book because Kathy Labriella gives you all of these like skills. <laughs> I can see you laughing. <laughs> no, but I think it's um, so true because yeah, exactly. I hate it when people are like, I would feel especially for polyamorous people who, you know, they have three partners and maybe they lose this one relationship and they're heartbroken and was like, well, you got another two. It's like. Well, no, that other relationship meant something. Hello. It was separate. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as if like losing that person to replace by your other two relationships. No, that was still, it's like own separate thing. No. And that's funny. Like all the time I, you know, I have my husband and then I would be dating other people. And so it's like, everything's going really well with the girl I'm seeing and, you know, things with my husband are good, but like things are really bad with this one guy that I really like. And, you know, we've been dating for like two months and it's like not going anywhere. You have to like really compartmentalize and then also it's nice that your partners can like maybe help you get through the breakups they're not meant to be your therapist but they're there but I think polyamory breakups are one of the things that I see a lot or that topic coming up quite a bit in social media in the sense that like everyone seems to think that oh you had one breakup see it doesn't work you know or maybe you shouldn't have three partners maybe you should just have two or da 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 so it's just like I don't agree with that I'm curious to to see what this book has to say about it, because I think as more people are venturing into polyamory, we see more people opening up about their journeys, their breakups, the you know the hard parts of it, and how to deal with it. Because I mean, in monogamous relationships, you know, when they end, no one's like, "Oh, you should never enter another relationship again just because it ended." <laughs> like, yeah, but somehow because you know exactly. it's a polyamorous one that ended, you're like, "You should never do polyamory again." Like, right. the logic to me just always I don't understand it. <laughs> I hate like this narrative that we've all at least most people have accumulated that as soon as you break up with someone they're all like dump his ass like leave him block him whatever and then it's like well you know you can still be friends they're still a great person you know or unless the relationship was super toxic then yeah of course but otherwise let's all be a little nicer people i think it comes with this idea that your relationship is meant to be to to get to the end of the escalator right and any relationship that doesn't do that 
is is de facto a fail because you've got to go back down to the bottom of the escalator and start again. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's linked to this idea of what they should look like. Once you step off it, I'm going to take the stairs and do what I want. You would hope that there would be a, a better series of soft skills that you could learn about how to, to deal with a breakup where it's like, okay, this really hurts and I'm grieving for the future I thought we had, but I'm not going to say that this was all a complete waste I'm not going to say that it is a failure. I'm not going to blame you or blame me. We have to find ways to navigate this. So when I was going through my breakups last year, none of which we broke up because we're polyamorous, by the way, Mm -hmm. Not, not a single one, but three breakups, really tough. And this is actually in the book sometimes because there are no soft skills for dealing with a breakup. You'll break up with one person, whip around to your partner and be like, now you have to fulfill these needs and help me because no one else understands what I'm going through. And then that partner breaks up because it's a lot of stress. And then you do it again. That's not what happened with me, but like it is a common enough occurrence that it makes the book. But what, what I did was I basically put my heartbreak out there. And the polyamorous community that we have on Instagram, like all of our creators, like we know each other, we're all very like close, really like pulled together. We ran a webcast, which is available on our website about decoupling and polyamory, which had Avita Sawyer, Sydney Rachin and Andy Adams on it, talking about breakups and what they look like and how we can help people and what skills we need to build in order to have better breakups that don't destroy everything and everyone and like your mental health the way that it did mine and then me and Annie Adams have been working on a breakup curriculum so it's a 10-week course with eight sessions where we use the relationship anarchist as the lens through which to see a breakup and question what is a couple why is it important why is it more important than you where are your values building from a place of pain into a place of joy without the focus being on the breakup if that makes sense it's no, more about absolutely. like reclaiming my time. Yeah. <laughs> reclaiming my time. Well, I mean, fun story. So my dom and I broke up. I'm not I'm not polyamorous, but I am kinky. So that's how I uh, contribute to this podcast. But my dom and I broke up and at first I was completely heartbroken. I was like, "Oh my god, I don't want to find another daddy." I really liked him. I loved him. And I really liked our time together. And, you know, I saw the mistakes that I did the first time. And I was like, I wish I had time to fix those. And then he was like, no, just because we're breaking up, this is not goodbye, that we can still be friends. And I basically went through this little period of time where I let him go, realized the things I needed to work on. And then we went back to being friends. And then now we are Back to being Dom Sub, we're working on our friendship and the things that kind of didn't go right the first time, we're like, okay, well maybe, you know, let's kind of relook at these things. And we're not putting titles or anything. We're like, oh, we're dating. No, we're just like, we're getting to know each other again. And that's been really nice because it did give me the ability to realize, you know, and it also had to do with astrology and the Pisces moon. I was like, I'm going to release my need to be in a romantic relationship in order to be happy. I'm going to focus on how I can make myself happy and how relationships can add to that after the matter. So yeah, breakups don't happen. That's such a nice story. That's so good. I'm really glad that worked out for you because I feel like you're right. Like no one tells you that you can be friends with your ex. And if it is, it's like, well, this must be some sort of ploy to get them back, right? Because who would want to be just friends? Yeah. As if being friends with someone who's awesome and caring and kind and who knows all the vulnerabilities, like would be a bad thing that's some sort of consolation prize no (laughs) actually I think when you talk to people who are really be doing polyamory and non-monogamy 
for a long time, especially if they're relationship anarchists, they're not talking about the orgies or the drama or the anything to do with what you might think they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about how their friendships have changed. They're going to be like, this lens has made me realize that friendships can be intentional as well and that friendships are not some sort of consolation prize for if you didn't manage to get someone in the sack or some sort of off limits like you can't have sex with your friends literally i know no relationship anarchist or seasoned polyamorous person who's been doing this who still holds that they're like yeah i fuck my friends they're hot they're nice i don't know what you mean to say like <laughs> but and that's one thing that i liked about the ethical slot is that it talked about that it's like you can have sex with your friends if you really want to why not you know you find them attractive they find you attractive you have a nice time together it doesn't take away from the relationship as a friend so I do like that bit in there. I need to go back and reread it. No, I want to read that chapter yeah. too. I, I will say personally, like in our relationship, we always had a uh, boundary against like friends that are like our friends together, just from that perspective. But I agree. And I think that's where people, when it comes to like their friendships, they always get so caught up is that like, oh, men and women can't be friends, you know, because they're always going to want to fuck each other. And I'm like, well, they can, they just have to like either set the boundaries of like, oh, we can be friends and enjoy these benefits, or we can just be friends and have the boundary that we won't have sex. You have the power in defining that. Like, I think people forget all the time, like you can negotiate these things with your friends and with the people around you. Absolutely. Also, I give that rule like six months. Just a matter of time before you're like, actually, my friend is really hot. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we? Maybe? Um <laughs> But yeah, no, you, you're right. And the, this idea that friends of the opposite gender, assuming for, for a second that gender is binary, even though it's not. But there's, there's this myth, right? That like the only reason to be friends with someone of the opposite gender is to like somehow like convince yeah. them. To, yeah, right. And I think this is just so incelly in nature. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it feels very weird. Like I'm so far from this position that I can't even like look at it and understand it. Yeah, it does kind of remind. It does kind of remind me of a passage in the ethical slut that I was reading. That it was, you know, it's kind of about like redefining sex for yourself, like how you look at sexual and erotic experiences. And I remember there was one part she said where she was like, "I've had conversations that felt." erotic and sexual and then I've had sex that didn't exactly feel very erotic or sexual and so that's kind of what it reminds me of is that like you can have sexual experience maybe not necessarily totally sexual like penetration you know the whole trajectory of sex with people that are like your friends or relationships with I guess you know relationships being a, a variety of things those can still happen and all depends on like how you define it for yourself and I think people overall just in general need to work on their relationship with sex that's one thing I was thinking when I was reading the ethical slut was that like we're also well not we because I personally find myself very sexually liberated but the rest of society not very sexually liberated and that's where like the majority of our problems come from i'm sure like i'm sure cammy has something to say on this because i think we can learn so much from the kink community and kink history about like what sex is Mm -hmm. because kink is thought of as being sex but it's it it doesn't it never has to include you could have an entirely d d type s type relationship dom sub relationship right where there is never any nudity there's never any touching of of sexual organs at all or erogenous things at all it it can be entirely a mentally stimulating thing and I think we're going to get to a point I hope we're going to get to a point where it's just like how do you define this 
okay, there's no, there's just what you define it as? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So it's not about penetration. It's not about orgasms. It's not about any of the stuff. It's about what you find like arousing in a variety of ways. And I think kink can teach us a lot of that. And I'm a big, like, I'm a big advocate for the shared history of polyamory and kink Mm -hmm. because it is a shared history. And I guess like one last thing on that is that one of the things I'm seeing with how many like polyamorous influences and creators there are is there's like this idea that we should separate like polyamorous people should separate ourselves from kinky sexualization it's about love it's not all about sex and it's like yeah it doesn't have to be all about sex it doesn't have to be about kink it doesn't have to be it can you can be a completely asexual polyamorous person but I think we need to resist this idea that we're better Mm -hmm. because we're less sexual because that's not true yeah and it's kind of a slap in the face to people who have been advocating for polyamory for longer than there's been a name yeah. for polyamory. Well, I mean, the kink is, or kinky relationships are still loving relationships. Yeah. Just because they're not, you know, what you would, some of them are not, you know, the structured relationship doesn't mean, I mean, just because you have a partner that, oh, maybe you see them every now and then, and, you know, you have this one kink you explore together, and that's really the basis of, doesn't mean it's not a loving thing. Yeah, that's still a relationship, and there can still be love in that relationship. Mm -hmm. I agree, though, what you say to that point, because bringing it back to Reddit, I see all the time (laughs) where people, like, (laughs) someone will go on Reddit and, like, ask a sex question on the polyamory subreddit, and everyone is, like, everyone hops on and comments. They're, like, we're all about loving relationships here. If you'd like to discuss sex, take it to this. And I'm, like, sex still happens in polyamory. (laughs) Like, I mean... I hope it does. If anything, a lot of times, many of us, you know, we have a large sexual appetite and we like to, you know, have loving relationships with the people that we explore different sexual things with. There's no need to, like you said, you know, it's not like as if one is better than the other. Like there's a lot of overlap and I think that there should be a respect there for that overlap. Mm. And also, I mean, sex sex doesn't have to be about one thing either. I mean, it kind of is strange. Like, can you imagine if we spoke about food like that? Can you imagine if it was like, okay, but we only have food that we love and we never eat for any other reason. We only ever eat our favorite foods. You'd be like, okay, then, I mean, like, <laughs> I would be eating bread and I have celiac. Like, that would be a problem, <laughs> right? Like, sex sex for uh, pleasure, obviously awesome, but you can also have sex to like get to know somebody that's a different type of sex like sex uh because you're really stressed so you get off and i'm i'm including in this word sex like self-arousal as well Mm -hmm. like sex with yourself right you you don't only have sex in this like hyper romanticized moralized version of it like we have sex for a million reasons just like we exercise for a million reasons and we eat for a million reasons like it's part of our you know we meditate for lots of different reasons there there are multiple benefits and therefore there, there's allowed to be multiple reasons why you, you want to have sex and I think you guys should get someone who's ace on to talk about it because mm-hmm. nowhere is this conversation richer maybe ironically than on discussions of ace po- like asexual polyamory and aromantic polyamory because it's an understanding that sex is not this one thing and it has multiple purposes I like that you mentioned sex as a stress reliever because when I tell people that they're like flabbergasted they're like calm down just you go read a book or you know take a walk or something it's like no I'm really stressed out I want to be pounded into so freaking hard until I'm happy okay until I'm no longer thinking about this subject like 
What's, What's wrong, wrong with that? that? Yeah, I don't get it. Either. Right. Like when I'm, I can't, I have really bad sleep problems. I mentioned before we started recording, I, I have chronic insomnia and I, I have done for years. You know what helps? Masturbating. Getting off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with that, man? Like, nothing. Completely valid. Yeah, Joe Rogan talks about it. You're yeah. like jacking off and then just falling over asleep. It's like I do the same thing. Pull out my vibrator, get an orgasm in and fall asleep. Right. One of the things that I've noticed, I'm wondering if you guys have had this experience, is there is like a lot of queer representation in polyamorous spaces. Mm-hmm. To the point where like if you're a straight person that's polyamorous, it's like you're this rare <laughs> both of you yeah. as why and I think this is really interesting like I I went to a meetup my very first meetup actually and it was so varied in terms of gender and sexuality but did I find any straight people I don't think so oh wow I mean it it's so queer um and there's been this like ongoing discussion about whether polyamory is part of queer mm-hmm. right I want to know what you guys think about it I think and I don't know granted you know Through my non-monogamy journeys, when I started exploring more of my bisexuality and, you know, for me, that's been like a very eye-opening journey for me, especially probably in the last six to seven, eight months-ish, I would say, just because I've I've entered into more even than I thought I would before. But I would say, I think what happens when you have queer people, I don't know how everyone defines it's queer. I think that can be a very different definition for everyone as they look at it. But I think what happens there is someone who's accepted their sexuality, someone who has like put in the work to understand just what it is that they find pleasing, arousing, fulfilling, you know, what brings them joy. And then from there, giving themselves the opportunity to explore that. Yeah, when you have that self-acceptance is when you start exploring more of the polyamorous side. So I think that's where the two of them start to go together. I think with a lot of quote-unquote straight people, fully straight, I agree, there are plenty of like fully straight people in polyamory. (laughs) Those mythical quote-unquote straight people. (laughs) No, but they're out there. But I think what happens is... They exist! (laughs) Somewhere. But I think what happens is straight people, and maybe some people are going to disagree with this on me, but... I think some of those people are not very liberated in that sense. They have not explored themselves fully and they have not taken the opportunity to understand themselves sexually and intimately into its full capacity. And that's why they are straight. And that's why they are, I guess, kind of, you know, either monogamous or maybe they could still be polyamorous, but maybe they haven't given themselves that permission to explore more. Does that make sense? So you're saying that everyone's a little bit bi. That's what I'm hearing. I think, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Essentially. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing, though, is like bisexuality or, you know, pansexuality, however you want to define it, queerness, it can mean a variety of things. So maybe as a man, you don't want to have like a physical relationship with another man, but you still have an interest in like more intimate relationships with a man. Like, and, and that doesn't have to include sexual things, you know, things like that. I think it's like when you break down those, you know, kind of structures of what that's supposed to look like as a guy you know for example you're like oh if i'm bi that means i want to have sex with dudes but i don't want to have sex with dudes like i kind of like playing with penises every once in a while but i don't want one inside me that's a lot of men a lot of men right yeah 
And I think if they started to accept that a little bit more and understand that, like, it's okay if I just want to, like, touch a penis but not have it inside me, the world would be a much better place. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, if they understood. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. If they understood that, like, there's a spectrum to everything. Like, it doesn't have to have this, like, rigid outline of what that's supposed to look like. I remember I, there was a guy I hook up with. He's bi. And him and I have had threesomes with, like, men together and then like we've just hooked up him and I and I remember one time when it was just him and I hooking up he looks at me and he goes where I'm from you were either gay or straight there was no being bi and he looks at me and he goes I primarily have sex with other men but I really enjoy you as a person and having sex with you as an individual not because of your gender like something along those lines and like that was such a touching moment for me and I just remember thinking like you know he's from the south like of course like to them if you have any thoughts of a penis like you're gay that's the strict rigid definition of it like there's no spectrum these will be the same people that are like gym gym bro it's <laughs> like what i think about it and i'm like you okay you're so straight you never even think about penis but you are trying to appeal to the male gaze by becoming like shredded and bulky at the same time mm-hmm. even though no women have necessarily ever been like that's what i want mm-hmm. like we want beards and bears that's what we want yeah listen to what we're saying <laughs> Yeah, I think um, some must have you're not like, you're not going to the gym for us, mate. You're not going to the gym for us. You are going to the gym for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Let's do some self reflection. Yeah. Well, I would say I always say I am unfortunately straight. <laughs> I love the pan community. I am devastated. I, <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Now, I will say the reason why I went to my first sex party, I and thank you for finding me attractive when I look like this, which no one listening right now can see what I look like, but my hair is in a bun, like I'm just wearing a t-shirt. Anyways, but my first sex party, I told myself, I was like, I don't know if I how I like women is it just as friendships or would I be willing to explore more so at the sex party I was like you know what I'm gonna give this a try and I did I did I you know messed around a little bit not too much just dabbled in the waters and I was like okay well it didn't really do what I wanted it to for me however I will say that I was also very nervous because it was my first sex party and I was, and I'm a sub, so I just like laid there and let like eight people just like do what they wanted to me. So I was very overwhelmed, and I can't believe I'm admitting this, and I might cut this out. Anyway, anyways, but then after the sex party, I'm I'm talking to my dom, we're you know discussing how we want our next sex party to go, and I'm thinking, you know what? I was very overwhelmed with my first experience. Maybe I'll give my second one with women another go. Because I know my dom, you know, has these fantasies that he wants to complete with me. And I'm like, okay, that involves another woman. And I need to see where I'm comfortable with that. So, but I had, whenever I was younger and I worked at a Chili's, I had a trans boss. And she was the reason that I started learning about, you know, like trans and queer and pan people. And for me, queer and pan people, I just love their joy. I love their joy and their acceptance of themselves. And that's how I tie it into polyamory. Is when they like, achieve it. It yeah. can be a hard thing to achieve, acceptance there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just the people who I've come across. Like this boss that I had, she was just so accepting of who she was. And I just absolutely loved it. 
I would be opening the door because I was a hostess and she'd be opening the other door and, you know, someone, a straight man would walk in and like avoid her and she would be like, you know why they don't look at me? It's because I think if they did, they would like it. And I was like, that's the energy everybody needs to have. (laughs) So, and I just love that about her. She had so much love to give. So, and that's how I tie it into polyamories for, you know, for queer people. Once you have defined how you view sex and how you view people and, you know, just how you want to interact, then you, you know, you really do have that ability for abundance. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's how I look at it as well. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's everyone's perspective on it, but like I said, I think everything's a spectrum and once you start to accept yourself and where you are on that spectrum, that's when the like Cami said, when abundance starts to become more and more achievable or I guess like practical in someone's mind. So, what are your thoughts on it? What how do you view the queer polyamory kind of thing? Well, the reason I was asking you guys is because I think I'm still very much, like, on the fence about it. Like, one day I'll be like, yeah, it's definitely queer. Like, what's more queer than tearing apart the mononormative expectations, heteronormative expectations, and throwing out the rule book and doing whatever you want with your relationship? But then I have to remember that when I started doing, like, actively looking for and getting non-monogamous agreements in place, uh, I wasn't in the states I wasn't in Europe I was in sub-saharan Africa Southeast Asia I, I was in like a different culture altogether and cultures where if it was queer you would be killed this isn't Arizona where it's there's just a lot of dude bros it's like people get killed so like dating multiple people was fine there's cultural understandings of this all over the world is an indigenous way of thinking about relationships in many cultures it pre-exists monogamy historically Non-monogamy is there in basically every country somewhere, which people will fight me on, by the way. People will be like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so I wasn't at a swingers party in Malawi. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, it would be one thing to do, I guess you'd call it polyamory or, or some form of non-monogamy. But if it was with somebody of the same sex, again, assuming that sex and gender are binary, which they are not, but that was the culture that I was in, that would have been really, like, damaging it would have set back any idea of what non-monogamy could be into a place that was very, very taboo, very dangerous, very difficult. So I I constantly kind of go back and forth on it. For me, with my label, I I use the term queer and then I don't explain it and I just watch everyone be confused. (laughs) And that's that's kind of my, that's my lane. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Do you? And I usually wrap my my pansexuality, bisexuality, polyamory into that kind of queer label. And I just like leave it and be like, because at its heart, queer just means that you you resist being assimilated into a norm. Yeah. That's what queer theory is. Mm-hmm. That's what queering something is. It's, it's making it strange. It's make, and by that, it means making it not part of something else, like that not part of the normative structure that we live in. So obviously for me, my polyamory is part of that, but not for everybody. And I, you know, people should use the labels that they want. I do see a lot of queer representation in polyamorous spaces here in Europe, in America. It's very, very queer. And I think that you, you guys are kind of right. There's this, there's a, a lot of work that unfortunately you have to do if you are anything other than cis and straight. In order to do that work, you have to get to a place where you know, you kind of have to be defensive, essentially. And you never then, I don't. I mean, I would never want to make someone feel like that, having me made to feel like that. 
So you end up with a very accepting, ostensibly accepting people. I've also met some very misogynistic gay men and some really shitty lesbians. You know, they're, they're bad people all over the world, but, like, as a culture, as a subculture, I do see, like, a lot of trans representation. I see a lot of queer representation generally in polyamorous spaces. I see a lot of people who aren't, who, who are, like, straight, so straight people who have a new polyamorous being de- very deferential, not wanting to take up spaces, which, you know, you don't necessarily get in, in other subcultures. So, yeah, it's a tough one. And I'm flip-flopping on it, which is why I wanted to ask you guys. But I would be, I was interested to hear your take on it, really. So thank you. No, I think it's a great conversation. And I agree. I mean, it kind of, in my mind, ties a little bit back to the whole, you know, when you see representation of polyamory, it's always the triad, right? Where husband and wife... Wife decides she wants to, or wife realizes she's bi, and then they open up and form a triad because the husband's like, sure, why not? Two women sounds great. And then, you know, the wife is like, well, you know, I want to have both a a man and a woman. And, like, that's the only representation we see. And, like, yes, of course, it's there and that happens. But, like, obviously there's more than just that structure in polyamory. You do have trans, you do have queer, you do have, you know, all sorts of different people that are exploring polyamory so I agree and it is a tough one because I see all the time people too that are like I'm straight but I want to go to sex parties and and try swinging and and try you know maybe polyamory and they're like does that mean I need to be bi and I'm like no that's not what it means either like it's not as if like you have to be bi or pan or whatever to explore polyamory or swinging or some form of non-monogamy. That's not the case at all. I'm just saying I feel like a lot of times people tend to find where they are on that spectrum and then accept themselves for that and then are willing to explore it. And that's where I think polyamory and non-monogamy really helps people understand that and then figure it out for mm-hmm. themselves. So yeah. Be curious. Yeah. yeah. Be curious and try things out. Yeah. Like don't be afraid to do it. Yeah. That's how yeah. I always say And I think it's a great conversation to have. So I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, I love that. And that's talking about these things is is one of my most favorite things. Hence why I have a podcast about it. Hence why I have a podcast. Okay. So I know you mentioned that you guys do events as well or that you participate in a lot of events in the poly and non-monogamy community. Do you have any coming up that maybe we could let our listeners know about if they're interested? Sure. Um, so you can find everything at www.polypages.org. That's poly with one L pages like the book.org. And we have all of our backlog on there as well. If you're a Patreon, you get access to that for free. The next kind of big thing that's coming up, we've been working on it with a bunch of the UK and Irish polyamorous and non-monogamous creators. And it's a digital showcase. So it's entirely online, as are the rest of our events. All of our events are online. It's an entirely online day on the 27th of November, with the 23rd of November obviously being International Polyamory Day. So we chose a Saturday after that. We have a full day of talks, panel discussions, Q&As, social spaces, and skills building. If you get a day pass, which I think they range from £10 to £20, you get access to all of the recordings afterwards. We have a keynote from Dr. Thomas David Barrett, who's a lecturer at Oxford University. And then we have a lawyer coming in to speak with us about polyamory and the law. His name's Miles Jackman, and he's the uh, he's an award-winning UK lawyer who specializes in sexual freedom and obscenity cases so he's kind of the go-to person on anything to do with like kink lgbtqia and of course polyamory we have a panel called black and poly in the uk and ireland where we're going to be talking about race and how that intersects with non-monogamy here in the uk 
Um, we also have a discussion between Leanne from Polyphilia and Rachel Jane Cook from P-Therapy about neurodivergence and polyamory. And we're ending the day with a conversation with a straight female polyamorous comedian, which I'm really excited about. She's hilarious. She's done 14 one-woman shows all over the UK, and she'll be sitting down to chat with me uh, to kind of wrap up the event. In amongst that, we have three different social spaces, one for the under-21s, one for BIPOC individuals only, so Black, Indigenous, and persons of colour, and one by region, so you can choose which region of the UK you want to go and socialise in. And we have two skills-building hours, including me running the Relationship Anarchist Bootcamp as the resident anarchist, (laughs) and two coaches coming in to run a coach's corner where they'll be focusing on a specific skill used in polyamory and doing that for an hour. So that's our next event. And just go to the website. All of our events are listed there. That's awesome. That's we'll awesome. post it on it social media. It sounds like a great event. Yeah. Lots I of content. In. So that's awesome. Well, I mean, you can obviously attend from all over the world because it's recorded and digital. But the focus is all on the people that we're highlighting in the showcase, so all the speakers, or the comedian, the panelists, the coaches, me. We're all from the UK and Ireland. And, you know, who knows? If it goes well, we could... We could bring it to the USA. We noticed just that there was like a lot of the meetups that happen, the conferences that happen are in person, and, and that requires a lot of privilege to be able to attend. And something that was very intentional about with Polly Pages and our events is that I'm disabled, I'm severely hard of hearing, which is odd to be a podcaster and practically deaf, but that's fine. We're mopping over that. But for me, like to go to a physical event, it it's so draining. And I've dated people who are on the spectrum or have severe social anxiety or who are physically disabled, and it's the same thing. So I really wanted to make sure that these spaces that I was making and these conversations were accessible to everybody. And the easiest way to do that is to do it online. It requires no travel. Everyone can be involved no matter where they are in the world. And you can do it in like a hoodie and a bun. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Or it's <laughs> so. <a> shirt. <laughs> yeah, we're all wearing hoodies and buns. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Well, everybody, please make sure to go look up the digital showcase. Get all these resources in line and, you know, educate yourself more. I think... Polly Pages, Claire, thank you for being such a wealth of resources and Mm -hmm. just ways of learning. I think, like I said, everybody go on to her page at Polly Pages. That's P-O-L-Y Pages. And yeah, check them out. I'm actually excited about this. I know. um, All these books that I want to go read now. And this digital showcase. So I'm definitely about to go look that up. Yeah. We appreciate you. Well, thank, thank you, you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Come back and see us next week. Don't forget, wear condoms. We haven't said that in the past two episodes, and I think it's very important. So wear <laughs> condoms and come back and see us next week. <laughs>